HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by One House. Learn more about our comprehensive hospitality solutions at one-haus.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. On the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016. This is the 122nd episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today is what I'm calling my reunion show, as my guests are two old high school friends who have made their mark in the industry, and I will introduce them in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to remember your roots. Don't forget where you came from or lose sight of your heritage. We all started somewhere, and it's important to recall who helped us along our journey, whether it's family, friends, teachers, mentors, or more. Your roots are your foundation, so stay true to them. That is my tip today. Now, I'm happy to have two wonderful entrepreneurs on the show today who I have known since my teenage years. First, we have Todd Arkey. He is the co-founder and SVP of sales and business development at Seamless, formerly known as Seamless Web, the industry-leading online food ordering platform. Under Todd's sales leadership, Seamless was recognized as one of the fastest-growing private companies in the country. Todd is now involved in some exciting new startups, which we will hear about. My second guest, who's going to be calling in, is Rowan Marley. He's the founder of Marley Coffee and the son of legendary musician and visionary Bob Marley. Rowan, a star linebacker for the University of Miami Hurricanes and pro football player for the Canadian Football League, knew he would one day return to his family roots and, like his father, whose dream was to eventually become a farmer. In 1999, he bought 52 acres of land atop Jamaica's Blue Mountains, and in 2007, Marley Coffee was born. So, hi, Todd. Hi, Sherry. <laughs> um, is Rowan, are you out there and you're on the phone? Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> hey, what's up, Rowan? What's up, buddy? Well, long time. Yeah, long time. this is this is. I, I don't even know. I don't know if, if I can put words to what this show means to me. This is very cool to have you both on. And as Todd commented before the show started, who knew I would be hosting a radio show, and that we 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 all be here together talking about our jobs in the industry. So thank you both. <laughs> yeah, thrilled to be here. All right. So I like to start out my show and just talked with people about how you got into the industry and and what led you with Todd you want to start with how did you end up at seamless food delivery 
company? Sure. So it actually starts in law school, naturally. Um, I became really close friends with uh, Jason Finger and Paul Applebaum, uh, both of whom are very entrepreneurial by nature. Uh, I went off after law school to work at a big law firm in D.C. They both were working at firms in New York, uh, and they had the idea behind Seamless. Um, both of them were working at big firms here and were having you know challenges getting food delivered every night when they were working late. Uh, Paul's firm actually used to put together a huge menu book, uh, and every floor of the, the firm had a huge menu book that someone spent many hours putting together every few months, and it was pretty uh, outdated. And so they would call restaurants, they'd find out they were closed or no longer open you know, for that night, and so it was very frustrating for them, and so they figured they were, with the advent of technology, there must be a better way to deal with this sort of situation. Um, and then they spoke with people who ran all the finances of the firm who said, you know, we deal with tens of thousands of receipts every year, trying to expense the right meals to the right client or project or department. And so they came up with this idea for Seamless. Uh, they called me up when I was working at my law firm in D.C. and said, hey, we, you know, what do you think about this idea? And then I helped them raise some money because they were friends of mine, and I was just a sounding board. And then one day they called me together after a few months of these conversations and said, you know what, we're going to leave our firms and go do this thing, and you have to quit your job and come back to New York and do this with us. And we promised to pay you at least 30% of your salary. <laughs> uh, and so uh, they made it an offer I couldn't refuse. And that was back in around 2000? That's right. Okay. Exactly. exactly. And so, so I did. So, I mean, it took me a few days to wrap my head around sort of changing careers, moving back to New York, taking an enormous pay cut. Uh, but I thought it was a great idea that they had. I believe in those two guys. And to this day, you know, they're two of the most bankable people that I know. And so, uh, you know, I took the leap and joined them. And there were, there were Jason, Paul, myself, and Stephanie, who's now Jason's wife, at, at that point had been his girlfriend for, I think, at least 57 years or no, literally like seven years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now they're married. Uh, I just went to their daughter's bat mitzvah this, uh, two weekends ago. So yeah, so it was us. And I helped by running uh, sales for the company. Uh, we focus primarily on selling our service to the law firms and hedge funds and banks uh, in New York City uh, because we helped them automate and streamline all their food ordering and billing processes. Uh, and then as many of us have seen and experienced, it's become a, a big consumer site as well for people just wanting convenience and security when placing food orders. Yeah, and I mean, I remember going to your office. I, I don't know what year that was, but it was. I was thinking about this. It was on 6th Avenue around 35th Street. Yeah, between and, 38th and 39th. Yep. And it was a small operation at the time. I mean, did you see... I mean, obviously you thought the company was going to... I mean, you wouldn't have left your job and, and joined on board unless you saw the potential and you want it with your friends and to, as something that it would grow into. But did you think it would grow into what it's become today? I mean, it's, bec it's become huge. And the whole food delivery um, arena yeah. Yeah, has, yeah. has changed so much. Yeah, I mean, I thought... Uh you know, I've never been much of a foodie, which is an interesting fact for one of your guests. Um, but you're on a food but show. But on a food, food radio. And, and Paul, yeah. Paul Applebaum always tells me, he's like, I'm tired of you saying you don't care about food because you constantly are talking about different types of food. Now, desserts I'm into. But, you know, I thought the food industry, you know, struck me as an area that was ripe for disruption. And you saw it with, like, you know, people getting more and more comfortable, like, ordering photos online and things like that. And it was so painful to call, like, your local, you know, Thai restaurant and order a meal and give them special instructions. And then, give, then you're giving them your credit card information, which is, you know, kind of crazy uh, to just give that to whoever answers the phone, whoever you call. Um, and so it seemed like a really good idea. And I believed in it enough to, you know, to, to jump ship and come and, and build it with Jason and Paul and Stephanie. But... You know, if you would ask me around that time, I would say, look, I, I envision a day when, like, everyone orders food online. It's just a natural thing to order online. It's so much easier, so much quicker, so much more effective. But, you know, getting to that point seemed very daunting. So I think that, you know, over time, I started to believe it more and more. But by the time we sold the business in 2006, we had really proven out the corporate model. But the consumer model, where individuals just set up their own accounts, um, was still very, very early on. And there were mm -hmm. a number of strategic, you know, potential strategic buyers or private equity firms that considered, you know, buying our business or investing who didn't at all believe the consumer site would take off. I mean, they were very wrong, but, you know, they had good information and were really smart and looked at it and did the analysis and said, like, totally unproven on the consumer side. Who knows if people are going to actually order, like, one-offs from their home. Yeah, well, we'll have to, I mean, look what's happened now. We'll talk more about that. Um, sure. So, Rowan, how about you? Because you switched from a career in football <laughs> to to coffee. I mean, how did that come about? Yeah, you know, um, 
I was just trying to find something else to do after fo- after I realized I couldn't go anywhere in football, you know. After spending yeah. a year in the CFL, um, I was, you know, I went on tour with my brothers, and I was trying to figure out, you know, if I'm gonna become a musician. I don't know what I was gonna do. Um, you know, obviously my family's all musicians. In '99, that was like from '95 to '99. I was trying to figure myself out, find my way, and figure out what I was do- doing. Moved to New Jersey '97. Uh, you know, I was with a woman then at the time, and we had some, we had a, a baby, and then I was kind of a house dad. And one day she says to me, you know, what do you do? <laughs> so at that moment, I had the opportunity to buy the land in Jamaica. So I bought that land in 1999, and when I bought the property, I was trying to figure out what I'll do with the property. And I asked the community, what is the community known for? And they told me the community was known for coffee. And I asked them, did they know anything about coffee? And they told me they have been farming coffee all their lives. I asked them what was on my property, and they told me coffee. So I said to them, well, I guess we're in the coffee business. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I took, a, I, I, just, I just went for it in 99 because I wanted to like, I knew that the people needed something to do, and I wanted something to do. And they had, I had the opportunity to give them some jobs in the community. So from 99 to about 2007, I spent a lot of years learning, you know, I went to live in Ethiopia, found out about Ethiopia being the birthplace of coffee. I said I said that, you know, being that at the time my farm, all I had was 52 acres, I couldn't really build the company I wanted to build. So while I was living in Ethiopia, I heard that Starbucks was in Ethiopia buying coffee. So I was like, if Starbucks is the biggest company in the coffee business buying coffee, sourcing coffee, why can't I source coffee and build a coffee company? and use my farm as inspiration, and that way I can really build a sustainable business that I can really help the community, you know what I mean? And I'm still doing that. So I came back to America and launched Mali Coffee and started to source coffee all over the world from Ethiopia, Papua New Guinea, Guatemala, and eventually got my license from the coffee industry board in Jamaica to export Blue Mountain Coffee out of Jamaica. So that's kind of how I got started. And, you know, I've been... I've been in the retail space now, uh, supermarkets all over the world. I have uh, some coffee shops that opened up in uh, South Korea. We have some we have great distribution in Chile, one of our like really successful markets, as well as in Canada. So we're, I'm just happy at what what I've started to see it blossom and grow. And you know, throughout that time, I've had different partners and different things. So I'm happy where I am today, and that's kind of where I got started and where we are today. You know. Yeah, no, it's amazing, and I I also love that that you've you've kept the 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 family I guess tradition in in your coffee company. What you naming a lot of the coffees after some songs well, that well, are familiar, like Get Up and Stand well, Up and well, Buffalo Soldier. Well, well, Todd can tell you. Coming over, Todd. Sir, these coming over to my grandmother's house. You know how that house is. Absolutely. <laughs> you know how how things are strict over there, so we can't really get out of line. You know. So, so ever since those days, you know, Todd and I, all three of us went to the same high school. So, you know, we all saw each other grow. And we, I've, I've just taken from those things and the things that I've learned throughout my life. And, and also you mentioned the names of the songs. The reason I use my dad's songs and the names is because every other name I tried to use, someone told me they owned the name. <laughs> and they had rights to it. So I said, okay, you know what? It's best we go into our archives and use what we have and what we own, you know? So that's kind of some of the things that led to, you know, get up, stand up, being one of the roasts and like Buffalo Soldier and Smile Jamaica and all those things, you know, and and really um, try to correlate the the names with with the with the meaning towards coffee, you know, like you know, Mystic Morning, you know. <laughs> so that's how the names came about. No, that's that's great. I love it. Um, we're going to take a little break, but before we do, I just as a side note, I was at a food and wine festival recently in Greenwich, and Ziggy Marley was one of the performers. So um, that was pretty cool to to to, to, to more 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 um, Marleys in the food industry in different ways. <laughs> but, sure, but Ziggy's also in the food industry. You know, Ziggy hasn't just launched his own cookbook because he, he eats like he's an idealist. He's very healthy. He's very health conscious. 
So he just coming along to cook, but he has like um, coconut oil and hemp seeds and all. Ziggy's like the first really organic in the family, like real organic living outside of my dad, of course. But as the, us as children, he's the one that the whole organic shoes, the hemp, all these different things. You know, Ziggy was like the leader, is a leader in that. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. Good to know. Oh, yeah. Oh, Maybe yeah. he'll have to come oh, yeah. on the show. <laughs> okay, cool. So we're going to take a little break. So Rowan, stay with us and everyone else stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Rectech. And this track is called Dues Paid. This episode is brought to you by One House. At One House, we noticed that most serious chefs and managers don't hang out in brightly lit offices. So we go out in the field to gather the best talent wherever they may be. We meet and talk to them like humans used to do back in the day. We are the people people. Our talent sourcing covers salaried dining room, kitchen, and corporate professionals. We thrive in Michelin-starred, James Beard, and mom-and-pop environments alike, from coast to coast. Drop us a line at one-haus.com or at info at one-haus.com for our confidential, up-to-date, and relevant career options, or if you're an operator seeking a culinary or management-level pro. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Todd Arkey, co-founder of Seamless, and Rowan Marley, the founder of Marley Coffee. Um, these are old high school friends of mine, a lot of memories. Shout and out to Palmetto Senior High School in Miami, Florida. Yeah, go Panthers. Oh, yeah. Big ups. <laughs> Big ups. So, I, I mean, Todd, why don't we talk a little about the transition that happened from seamless well it was seamless web it went to seamless yeah. now there's seamless grub grub up grub seamless, up seamless. Yes. and now there's also a tremendous amount of other companies doing delivery from uber to caviar to postmates to i mean maple i mean there's there's a ton so sure. i mean what's your take on all of that <laughs> <laughs> i get questions about this all the time usually they're not as broad as what, what do you think of all this but uh <laughs> well I'm, it's, you no, know it's i'm going between i'm going between <laughs> yeah. delivery and, and I coffee but, uh, but, I, but I can try to narrow no, it no more. it's good i'll go i'll roll with it i'm just i'm just uh, <laughs> i'm just joshing um so i think that um there's a lot of great options for people now. Um, I still think – so I'm no longer involved with, with Seamless or Grubhub. Um, but I think they're still in a very good position because no one's really going at them directly. People are going on the margins. So if you look at like an Uber Eats, uh, a Blue Apron is I think a, you know another mm -hmm. great company. They, these are all you know taking maybe a little bit of market share. But the overall pie continues to grow uh, as more and more people are doing stuff online for food. So uh, my take is you know there are a lot of companies sort of – you know attacking from different angles, um, but not sort of going at the heart of it. And some of those companies I think are excellent. You know, I think companies like Blue Apron and Freshly and, you know, a number of others that you mentioned are really strong companies. Um, but I do think to some extent uh, it's getting a little bit oversaturated. I, mm -hmm. I know some people who started similar types of services like a Maple in different markets who really struggled to get to a certain volume or sustainable. And so I've seen it sort of from the inside trying to help some of those folks and give them advice. But uh, I think it's a very, very, very competitive industry. You know, when we started around the same time we started within six months, there were three or four companies um, doing something very similar to what we were doing at Seamless, trying to serve the corporate market. Uh, fortunately, you know, we sort of won that battle um, or won those battles, uh, ended up acquiring one of those companies a few years later for, you know, a small amount of money. Uh, but you know, now there's just so many different players going at it from so many different angles. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine all of these companies being able to make it just, I, I mean, I not like I'm rooting against them, but I would think maybe there would be a merger of some sort. I find with my, my clients, uh, my restaurant clients I work with, a lot of them are using many of these different delivery services. And yep. because I don't, and I guess seeing what, what 
what works the best or where they're getting the most sales. But um, yeah, I mean, one of the things is you know, seamless. We proved out to a lot of restaurants that it was possible to partner with sort of technology companies that would you know greatly increase your business, and that really opened the door for a lot of others to come in and, and for the restaurants and caterers to believe that because when we first started. You know, uh, some of the places we had talked to had been approached by a company called Food.com back in the day, and Food.com didn't particularly bring a lot of business. And for the business they did bring, sometimes we heard they didn't really pay uh, for the food orders that they brought. And so we we were dealing with restaurants that many of which were very sort of concerned about technology sort of taking over, but also ones that had a bad taste in their mouth from that experience with Food.com. And so I think. Seamless did a lot of things. One of the things we sort of made uh, more fertile soil. This will segue back to coffee. Uh, more <laughs> fertile soil to uh, introduce new technologies that could help uh, improve the, the businesses, the restaurants, and the caterers had. Yeah, good good segue back to Rowan. Yeah, I'm trying. No, no I'm a, I use um, your platform. <laughs> I say that much. Thanks, I'm in Rowan. New York. I, well, I'm not in New York, but I live in here in the city now. And I tell you, it's convenient to be able to bring up the seamless, you know. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it's hard to, like, decide where to go eat. And then when you have all the options online, like like a seamless Grubhub or even Uber Eats, all, all those different Postmates, I, I use them all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, just like, I like to kind of look at the restaurants at home. <laughs> yeah. A lot of options. Yeah. So with True. with with the coffee business, I mean, how how are you finding it competing against like the big guys like Starbucks or smaller well, independent you know, businesses? One thing that we were doing as a company, and we will continue to do it, is really that doing things in an ethical way. So not that they're not ethical what what they what they're doing, but you know, that's just my makeup. You know, what I mean, the sustainability. You know, what I mean, uh, getting into the recyclable uh, friendly uh, eco cups that we created with through Mother Parker um, a few years ago and just and just you know utilizing all sustainable uh, coffees you know when I'm sourcing all certified coffees from organic the organic certification from a rainforest rainforest alliance to direct trade or and fair trade as well but we kind of went, went more focused toward direct trade where we was getting the coffee direct from the farms so we can understand the benefit of the farmers so that the kind of way it was more the hands-on thing and uh, it's not really to compete with those big guys because I just wanted to have a create the best tasting product, which was you know one my, one of our things was that our coffee was ranked really really high, you know, on all the scales. So we we, we love that more, and that's the best way I thought that I could find my own little place in the market, you know, with, with you know being a because remember I am the difference with myself and all those other guys. I started from a farm. You know, I had to get into the coffee business because that's the only way I could help the farmers. I mean, because what I was producing from a raw material perspective, I couldn't really pay the farmers with that money, you know, because it, it just it, it it's just it's just not that way in in, the, in Jamaica. The money is not so strong, you know. <laughs> so you have to kind of find um, a business and build a brand, and where the farmers then can really benefit more. And I'm still growing, you know. What I mean, because. In everything you do, you have ups and downs. So that's just life. Right. So where where's your coffee sold? How can how can people get your coffee? Well, in um, good question. Some supermarkets are on the place. Um, I don't know all of their names. <laughs> you know, that wasn't my focus. My focus was more was more emission. But I think I think you can find the coffee like in let, let's see. I know we had some coffee in Winn-Dixie. We had some coffee in, like, Safer and Kroger. But right now, we're kind of doing some restructuring. So I don't know where you're going to find it now. Can you can you yeah, order your coffee on your website, or that's not it, it's it's not that's not something you're doing at this time? Well, right now, I'm doing some restructuring with the company, like as far as like the next move, you know, because. I had some partners, and we kind of parted ways a little bit. And so, you know, they wanted, to, they had some other ideas, I had some other ideas. So I'm going to build on the other ideas that I have separately from those guys. Okay. Well, stay tuned. What, yes. what for yes. both of you, what are some some lessons you've learned from, from doing startup businesses in the food world or advice you'd have for someone who was going to start up a company? That uh, too me, general too. <laughs> yeah, let me let me say something on that level. 
I, the lesson I've learned as a, as a young young person with, a, with an entrepreneurial vibe is, is the type of people you want to work with. You know what I mean? It's like um, sometimes being a nice guy, being like you want to help everybody and do these things can kind of come back and hurt you. So it's like it's type of it's. I think that what I've learned is the people I want to work with as a human being myself have to have a certain type of character. You know, and I've learned that it's going to take a long time to find those people, and they're going to be able. To, they have to eat a pound of salt for me to trust anybody. And that's what one thing I learned: not to trust people and not to go by what they say, only go by what they do. You know, I learned that much. What about you, Todd? <laughs> yeah. So I would echo that. You know, um, the trust that Jason, Paul, Stephanie, and I had for each other back, you know, in 2000, which has lasted till today was an incredibly important part of our success. You know, to be successful, you have to have a decently good idea, you have to have a, a strong team, you have to have some luck, and I think you have to have a lot of trust um, amongst the partners. And, you know, there were a lot of difficult conversations that we had, you know, not everything was this beautiful story that, you know, it's not like the, the movie of the week where you, a couple friends get together and they start a business and everything goes, you know, unbelievably well, um, like you would imagine, and, and there's never any issue or strife or disagreement. You know, there's a lot of challenges in building a business. Um, there's a lot of passion involved, which, you know, can go in any number of different directions. So I think, as Rowan said, finding people you trust, um, finding advisors that you can trust and, and rely on. You know, I think one of the biggest learnings I had, and, and I've, I've become, you know, a relatively active angel investor and advisor for startups, you know, leverage your investors and your network and your in, in advisors because so many there's so few ways in this world to actually help make your own money grow. And if you're going to invest in a company, a startup, and you have lots of connections that can help them, that the founders and the founding team need to come to you and like make sure that you pick up the phone and make the phone calls you said or send the emails you're going to say to make introductions for them because there's nothing more helpful than connections in this world um, and you got to leverage them and, and, and leverage those of the people in your network that's like a huge like I say that all day long because I, it's shocking how many investors don't actually you know roll up their sleeves and help the companies and it's amazing how many companies don't you know they're afraid to ask their investors for things which to me is kind of crazy Right, right. I like that. That is true. Because it's, it's going to be the benefit of everyone. Yeah. And do we have, like, do you have, can I, like, carve out two minutes for a story related to Rowan Marley? Go ahead. Okay. You got it. You're, <laughs> all right. You're so enough. this is, this is I have to preface, this is my favorite, one of my favorite stories I tell ever, and it's all about Rowan, so I wanted to take this opportunity. <laughs> so okay. uh, in seventh grade, and Rowan, feel free to correct anything I say that's wrong here. Um, in seventh grade, Rowan bench pressed 300 pounds. Okay, so he was like 5'8", Rowan, and bench pressed 300 pounds. He was a beast. Okay. And um, fortunately for me, I was friendly with Rowan. Uh, we, we became friends early on. I think, I think the Aaron Katzman connection, I think, was the main reason. Aaron um, gets a shout-out. Yeah, shout awesome. <laughs> and so... Um, so far, too. So, so <laughs> that's the background. I walk out of class one day at Palmetto uh, Middle School, and um, I'm on the second floor of the school, and this kid named Nagai Cox comes up to me, who I was also friendly with. And the guy is screaming at me, and I have no idea what he's mad about. I literally can't imagine something that I have done that would upset any other human being as much as the guy Cox is upset. And he's screaming at me and yelling, and all of a sudden people start to gather around. And I, at this point, I've never been in a fight in my life. Like, I'm a nice Jewish kid from Bethlehem Day School. Another shout-out. <laughs> like, I've never been hit. I never thought about being hit. All of a sudden, I'm faced with this kid, Nagai Cox, who, other than Rowan was the most intimidating person in all of junior in the seventh to ninth grade the guy cox was number two behind rowan so he's screaming at me he's yelling at me everyone's gathering around he backs me up against the staircase uh which is just a concrete staircase and he has me like like kind of leaning back over the staircase and he finally says at lunch i'm gonna kill you so i have lunch with him and i'm i'm freaked out everyone everyone moves away you know he leaves i'm like freaking out freaking out cherry bear and <laughs> Sorry. I go to lunch, and on my way to lunch, I see Rowan, who's also in my lunch period, as is Nagai. And I go up to Rowan. I said, Rowan, man, you got to help me. He's like, what, did you, what, what happened? I, said, I told him the story. He said, what would you do? I said, Rowan, I honestly don't know. He said, Todd, if I'm going to help you, you got to tell me what you did. I said, Rowan, I swear to you, I have no idea what he's mad about. I guarantee I didn't do anything. So 
All Rowan said, he's like, okay, and he walked away from me. So I thought it would be sneaky. At this point, it was like a month into the school year, and we all sat in the same area in the lunchroom. But I figured I'd sit in a different area to try and fool the guy if he was looking for me. <laughs> Not the most strategic plan. But so I sit with this other group of guys that I'm friendly with, but I never ate lunch with them. So I'm kind of the guest star at their lunch, almost like we are today with the interview. So they're all asking me questions because, like, I never sit with them. So they're interested in the guest star's, you know, right, uh, right. discussion for the day. So they're asking me questions. I don't hear anything they say. I'm not paying attention. I'm just like, my heart is pounding. I think I'm going to get beat up for the first time in my life. And so I see out of the corner of my eye, about 30 feet away, Rowan goes up to Nagai, and they talk for probably 20 seconds, at which point Rowan turns and walks away, and Nagai turns and starts walking over to me. And I'm dying. And all of a sudden, the guy comes, and he taps me on my shoulder. I pretend like I wasn't like looking at him the whole time out of the corner of my eye. He taps on my shoulder. I look up at him. He puts his hand out to shake my hand. He goes, I'm sorry, man. I had the wrong guy. Are we good? I'm like, we good. And I look up, and I look at Rowan. He just gives me that little nod, like, I got you this time, Todd. So I want to say a very belated thank you very much, Rowan Marley, for saving my, uh, my butt in uh, junior high school. You know, I mean, Todd, you know how we were in school. You know, we have to protect each other. We protect everyone, not just one person. But in school, um, you know, it's about love. It's still love, and we all can be together, even though Nagai came from another part of the town. You know, Nagai was from the Purine side, you know. So Nagai come from the rough side. So, and But I was the bridge in that. You know, I consider myself the bridge between... Um, the, the t- two separate type of communities and different type of uh, opportunity, you know. So I, I want, that's why I, I wanted you and him to become friends. It wasn't, re- you know, so <laughs> that's all. I was like, yo, that, that is cool, man. You don't, don't leave Todd alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, thanks for that. Like, <laughs> wow, I did not know that story. Yeah. Very cool. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speedrun game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Music for this break is brought to you by Rectech, and this track is called Torchlight. This is on the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Todd Arkey and Rowan Marley from Palmetto High School in Miami, Florida. Old friends. <laughs> it's time for my speed round game. So what this is is I name a couple things, and you guys just pick your preference. So you'll, you'll be fine. Like chocolate or vanilla. It's, it's easy. Yeah, chocolate. Okay. That was, oh, you want me? You, well, it's a I, test I, one. It's I a test me. one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dark chocolate. <laughs> okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out. That's, that's eat. Just eat? Yeah, I'm an eat in guy. Okay. And so is my daughter, Danielle. She, she and I love to eat at home. Okay. And your other daughter? My other daughter is happy to go out. She's happy no matter what. All right. Good to know. How about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Cocktail. Rowan? Yeah. Um, um, you know, different days, different things. <laughs> sometimes wine, sometimes cocktail, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't. I don't have anyone. Nothing. <laughs> it's all right. There's really no right or wrong or rules in my game. So. Right. I would say wine, though. Wine, actually. Okay. How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte for me. Um. I I I'll take the yeah the, the next one the first one. Okay, <laughs> tasting menu. How about small plates or large plates? 
Tapas. Tapas is the way to go. Topless? Topas? Yeah, it's Jerry Bear. What kind know. of program is it? <laughs> Topas. Yeah, we're watching our watching our week, you know? <laughs> okay. Communal table or chef's counter? I'm, I like the communal thing. Yeah, I do too. My wife's favorite restaurant uh, is uh, Asia de Cuba. And they used to have the one that used to be on like 38th Street in Madison had a com- huge communal table. That was always really fun. They reopened in New York. Yeah, I know. It's different. Different vibe. Different, Delicious different food. Vibe. Different vibe. Different every, vibe. Very every, time you, you, every time you mention chef table, I think about how my clothes are going to smell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, a couple more. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, I could talk for like an hour and a half about this topic. Well, we've, I've done a show on this Rowan topic. Said tipping. So my pet peeve about tipping is like people don't tip based on the service that they get. And it doesn't make sense to me. Most people give the exact same tip everywhere they go, which defeats the purpose. I was at a restaurant. I typically am happy to tip 20% as long as the service is at least good. It doesn't have to be great. Yeah. But if I, there are times where I have terrible service and everyone's like, what should we give 20%? I'm like, what meal did you just sit through? Like the person didn't bring half of the food they, we ordered. You know, they, sure. they, they didn't bring the check for 20 minutes, all this stuff. 17. Yeah. So you're for all-inclusive then? Or no, no you're not. Well, I you're for t- tipping. I want to tip, but I also just want to gripe <laughs> about tipping. You want to gripe, gripe about tipping. Okay, new category. <laughs> um, Ample Hills Creamery, Stucci's Ice Cream, or Carvel? So I have to, full disclosure, I'm an investor in Ample Hill. <gasps> you uh, are? And I think it's the best ice cream in the world. It's pretty damn that good. That being said, I would also, you know, the, the fudgy the whale cake at Carvel is, you know, as old school <laughs> as it gets. So uh, that's a number two. Okay. Rowan, you, yeah. I don't know if you've had Ample Hills. Have you? Have I ever had what? Ample Hills ice cream. It's an ice creamery that started out in Brooklyn and now just opened a store in Disney, actually. Oh, but you know, you know what it is. You know, I'm not so much a dairy guy. Yeah. So, so, so you drink your coffee I, I, black? Yeah, I do. Okay. Right. <laughs> Me too, by the way. Me not. I know Carvel. I know. I know Carvel. Of course. Okay. Um, okay. Just three more. For U of M, Wolverines or Hurricanes? Well, I know what Rowan's going to say. He was a superstar what? linebacker at U of, U of M. Superstar indeed. It is well, and I know what you're probably going to say. Yeah, I, I now for me now UM is Michigan after uh, going there for college and following the, the school very closely. I'm actually heading there tomorrow. So. Rowan, what yeah. about you? When you hear UM, yeah. what do you think, Rowan? <laughs> you think of Ray Lewis? <laughs> say it again, bro. You think of Ray Lewis when you hear UM and your whole crew? Yeah, absolutely. You think of winning, winning <laughs> nice. national championships. Nice, <laughs> nice. And and note to note to listeners, Todd and I also went to college together. Absolutely. So I'm I'm go blue, but go I'm blue. also a hurricane fan. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Two more. Good backyard. Cheese plate or dessert? What do you think, Rowan? I like it. I like it. You like it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Even though I'm not the dairy guy, but I like a little <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm noticing some inconsistencies here. Uh, this podcast yeah, is, yeah, is brought to you by uh Lactate. Um, so I am all about dessert. I never have met a cheese plate that I enjoyed. Oh, okay. And last one is Manhattan or Brooklyn? Oh, wow. It's a leading question. I'm sitting in Brooklyn right now. but I have- no, People always get scared about that question. I go, I go with Manhattan. It's been very good to me. Rowan? Yeah, you know, I, I live in the, the middle of Manhattan. So, yeah, I, I would say... Well, I love Brooklyn, though. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I say Brooklyn, but I, I live in Manhattan. <laughs> Great. That is the game. That so, is the game. We didn't play so well, did we? No, you... Oh, <laughs> I, I, actually, it was one of the most fun games I think I've, I've had in 122 episodes now. Ro- Rowan, not, Rowan, not for nothing, but Sherry just told me I won. She whispered, you beat Rowan in this game. All uh, right. This, this is this is he's taking advantage of being in the studio and not you not being able to see me. <laughs> but um, okay, so for industry news, I had a couple articles. I guess the one that fits most with Todd that I'll mention is uh, in the New York Times. There's an article how David Chang bets big using Silicon Valley money. It's by Katie Benner, and this is everyone knows David Chang and his food empire, and he now has this delivery only restaurant called Ando and um, 
I guess the the big part about this story is that initially David never took money from anyone and never kind of believed in in that and now he so he has this significant venture capital financing of seven million dollars now going into this this business and it's uh it's it's looking to grow it so yeah so it's interesting because um you know in the early years of seamless we started talking internally a lot about the fact that it was inevitable there was to start to be more delivery-only restaurants. There used to be a restaurant called The Pump that was like uber-healthy oh, right. food mm-hmm. um, that used to be at little hole-in-the-wall locations in Midtown that used to have lines around the block. Like, think of like what Sweet Green looks like now on an average, you know, Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday lunchtime. But it ha- that hasn't really happened as much as we had anticipated because we just thought, you know, if you're a restaurant, you could have like a big kitchen somewhere where the rent's not super expensive and you could shuttle the food in and just have delivery only coming from a central location in the city. Um, in fact, I've mentioned someone I think you know, um, Sherry, is Wiley Cirilli. So Wiley's mm-hmm. a close friend of mine, worked together for many years at Seamless. He was part of the early team there as well. And he just started something called Good Uncle. And it's a delivery-only commissary model starting out at university at Syracuse University to start. And the idea is to create – they're licensing some of the best dishes from the best restaurants in New York. So think Joe's Pizza and salads from Sweetgreen and things like that. And then they're offering those to the students at Syracuse University. Uh, and what they're doing is delivery only out of their location, and they're actually having certain drop spots around campus where you can order your meal and go to those spots and get your food. Um, and so I think what David Chang's doing I think is smart. I don't think you need to have dine-in uh, to be very successful, and you can build a real scalable model um, doing that very thing. Yeah, I don't know. Rowan, do you have any comments on this? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. No no worries. Um, That's Todd's world. I just, you know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just a, a little farmer guy. <laughs> <laughs> a little farmer guy. Yeah, no, it's, it, and it's interesting. That, I mean, you're right with, with well, with this, this part of this no delivery restaurants that has been growing. And the other article I had was about... Um, is is New York too expensive for restaurants was the title. It was in the New York Times and it was basically comparing New York, L.A. and San Francisco talking about the different costs of, of what it takes to run a restaurant. So, And that's something we've talked about a lot on this show, just how difficult it is to run a restaurant and keep it open. So this new delivery concept or the growing delivery, sure. um, I can see why that, that more chefs are getting into it and... Um, and Wiley's, I'm, I'm curious, I, I think his company's going to do well, you know, he's, well, he's... Full disclosure, I'm yeah. an investor in Good Uncle as well. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully cool. he does. And he also and he's did, amazing. And he did, what, Single Platform he's, was yeah, his? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he, yeah. Was, he founded Single Platform, which was a, a big success as well. Yeah, smart, smart people. No, he's the best. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. I'm going to talk about my solo dining experience, and then we're going to do the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Music for this break is brought to you by Shadowbox, and this track is called Let's Not. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Sushi on Jones. Here's the rundown. The location, 348 Bowery Street, New York, New York, in the Bowery Market. The concept, New York's first outdoor sushi bar. The chef, David Buhadana of Sushi Dojo, and his partner is Derek Feldman. Why did I go? because how could I resist an alfresco omakase concept? My experience. As per the website's instructions, I texted their number to request a reservation for one and immediately received a reply back to confirm my, my slot. When I arrived, I was greeted and seated at one of the four seats at the sushi counter, which was already occupied by another couple. Or just a couple. Okay, so since it was starting to get chilly out, I... I came with a jacket, scarf, and hat. It wasn't that cold, but they also had a heat lamp on, but I wanted to prepare because we were sitting outside. 
I settled in and my timed 30-minute omakase began. Yes, that's right. The meal is timed. What did I get? 12 pieces of sushi, as selected by the chef, handed to me one at a time. Pieces included fresh scallop, salmon, seared tuna, uni over wagyu beef, and eel. As a bonus, I was offered a hand roll while I was talking with Chef Buhadana. I also had some hot tea. My take, fresh and delicious sushi for a good value. It was the first time I had a surf and turf piece with uni and wagyu, and it was a really cool combination. The ambiance, so it's a teeny sushi shack with high stools facing the sushi chefs through an open window. It's perfect for adventurous sushi eaters. Interesting tidbit, Chef Buhadana received press last year for fighting the health inspectors over their insistence that sushi chefs wear gloves when handling raw fish, and he actually lost his job over that and now has opened his own place. Personal fun fact, the most similar experience I had to this was in Tokyo last December when I waited in line for omakase at the sushi bar at the fish market, and it was sort of al fresco, and uh, it was also a quick service style. The cost was $52.50, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, but I may wait for the spring when it's warm again. Website is sushionjones.com, and that's my solo dining experience, and I'm like, Sushi, shu, sushi chef, stack chefs. I don't know. It's very tongue tying yes. words there. It is. It yeah. Is. But I got I got through it. Did you ever see the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi? I did. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I left that movie. And I went straight for for sushi. Yeah. Uh, on the subway. No. Okay. Okay. I, I got. You know, I got to let you guys tell me where to get some good food. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we know we know um, where you're, you're on all the delivery apps, and so there's a lot of options right. there. But yeah, right. call, anytime I I'm I go out I'm I'm an eat out girl. So um, any any advice you want, let me know. Absolutely. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So next week, my guest is Marion Nessel. She's Paulette Goddard Professor of Nutrition and Food Studies and Public Health at. New York University. She's also the author of six prize-winning books, including Food Politics, How the Food Industry Influences Nutrition and Health. She's a wonderful and very smart woman. So, both of you, what would you like to ask Marion? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, Rowan, I'll let you go first. <laughs> I don't know. So many questions, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, we only need one that. question, so I might. Rowan wants to know where she know. likes to I eat sushi. I don't know what to ask that lady. I don't know. Okay, I don't know it's a. T- I, I, don't I don't know a tasker either. That's why I'm asking you guys. I'm going to ask her whatever <laughs> happened. I'm going to ask her whatever happened to the guy Cox. That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, I would ask her if there's ever going to be a what, what, what's up with GMO or something. I don't know. If that if. if is people ever going to care about those things? Is going to ever become something that we should really talk to the government about? Really banning? How? How? Why is that legal? I mean, I don't know. Some stuff like okay. that. Some in regards yeah. to that. We'll talk a little about Some GMO. GMO questions. <laughs> I know. I still don't understand the whole like organic fruit versus regular fruit, and uh, you know where I should be uh, focusing my energies and dollars on. Okay. Yeah. Good question. Thanks. Sure. We'll find out <laughs> how to shop. <laughs> And um, that's that's the show. Before we close out, though, Todd, I know you've been working on some other projects. So tell me, tell me about your what you what you have in store for us. Well, sure. So I just joined an excellent company called Skix. S K I C K S. Um, I joined as CEO four months ago. Uh, it was started by two women and one of their daughters. Um, and what we do is we make sort of custom licensed and logoed sneakers. So uh, we have <laughs> sneakers for like University of Miami and University of Michigan, as well as uh, about 70 other colleges. And we also do it for different causes. So we did like a Relay for Life sneaker. We have a pink sneaker for breast cancer awareness um, and a teal one for ovarian cancer. And then we're also doing it for a number of other organizations, some high schools, um, some, some camps. And so the idea is we all have enough sort of zip up hoodie sweatshirts in our closets at this point. And so why not get your favorite logo and colors on a sneaker um, and show what you stand for. Cool. <laughs> Maybe there's there's a Marley Coffee Skicks, but that's that's not a that's not a sport. No, no, but we do it for different brands too. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's what you said, Brian. Ro- Rowan, we should talk. We'll get a Marley uh, a Marley what? sneaker going. 
Yeah, I you know, we have um, the Marley Natural brand. We have House of Marley as well. Yeah, for sure. And Marley, Marley Beverage, which has just did a wonderful merger with a, with a, with a group. So we're looking to grow. We're, we're growing the Marley brand as well. That's great. All right, we should talk. Off, yeah, off, off air. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, if, if anything came with the show, or well, a lot came with the show, but maybe story. there's this collaboration that would, yeah, that would be cool. Absolutely. And also, also want to thank Rowan. Also participated in, um, involved with something called the Shared Grief Project, which is uh, I'm involved on the nonprofit side with childhood bereavement issues. And Rowan did an amazing interview where he shared his experiences of loss as a kid, and also you know what he's learned over time, and gave amazing advice to to kids who are going through that now. So thanks again for doing that, Rowan. Oh man, Todd, thank you, man. You always you're such a great guy, man. You always been a great guy ever since. And and Sherry, thank you as well. You always been wonderful friend to me all these years. And it's nice to reconnect with old friends, you know? Yeah, that I've known since I was a child. So it's good to talk to everyone and thanks for having me on the program and Todd see you around huh you got it yeah thanks Sherry for putting this together it's been a lot of fun oh you're welcome thank you both this is really special to me and I'm just I, I value our friendship and our long term history and and just knowing you guys you guys are good good people and thank you I wish you much right continued you. success well thank you so listeners my guests today have been Todd Arkey the original co-founder of Seamless and Rowan Marley the founder of Marley Coffee Websites is Seamless.com. His new company is SKicks.com. And I have MarleyCoffee.com and RowanMarley.com as websites you can check out. On social media, at Seamless, at Tarky number 2, at, why, what's the SKicks? At SKicks? Yeah, at SKicks. At SKicks. And at <laughs> Row Marley and at Marley Coffee. Find me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and Bayer Public and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and iTunes, so you can hear all our shows at any time, anywhere. Thanks to my fall season sponsor, One House Hospitality Headhunters. Their website is one-house.com. That's Twitter at one underscore house and Instagram, one house. That's O-N-E-H-A-U-S. Thanks to my engineer, Pierre. And thank you all for listening. That's the show. I'm Sherry Bayer. Till next week. Bye. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community rate the shows you like tell your friends and please join our community by becoming a member just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. thanks for listening